Hello, welcome back to Bestowing the Brush. This is the podcast that talks a lot about drawing. I also talk a lot about art. I talk about Charlotte Mason. My name is Dallas Noctegal. Hi, how are you? This is Bestowing the Brush, and I am welcoming once again my friend Nicole Hanfield to the show. Welcome, Nicole. Hi, Dallas. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to talk. We uh, love clay modeling. And we also love nature journaling. So this show will mostly be about clay modeling. But if we have time, I want to get in a few questions. She has added a second student who is doing some nature journaling. And she has kind of learned some things with this this second student. So I'd love to talk to her about that. And you guys also had some questions that I'm going to include in this interview. So why don't we just jump right in? Uh, a little bit about Nicole is that she has a family of five. Um, she is kind of a research nerd like I am, so we totally get along. We went up to the LER a couple, well, let's see, I guess it was last summer now, and we taught a um, a drawing workshop together, and we just had a ton of fun. I rode up there with her, rode back, so I got to know her family a little bit. They are salt of the earth. They are great people. Um, and she, she really loves to include nature journaling and clay modeling in their homeschool. So why don't we start with motivation? What is it that even makes us want to do clay modeling? Um, and you know, nature journaling kind of plays into that as well a little bit, but specifically about clay modeling, what is going to help us really get on board with, yes, I want to do this in my school. Okay. Well, I'll just tell you how we added it into our lives. Um, it was my own nature notebook journal or journey that once I started keeping my notebook, I was so inspired. Um, just my eyes were opened. I, I just saw so much more from God and I just this whole practice of gratitude, which I never could be grateful for things that I didn't notice before this whole learning how to see and observation. Um, And I was, you know, so inspired. I wanted to tell other people about it. And I found that all my homeschooling friends were not keeping nature notebooks and they had all these hangups and I started researching, well, how did they do it in Charlotte Mason's time? And so then That is really how I learned about teaching drawing, which connected us. And then that's also how I found out about clay modeling was all a part of what I found was, you know, it wasn't just that they were keeping nature notebooks. They were implementing it as part of a wide and varied curriculum that really all the parts were supporting all the other parts. And so that gave them success not just in the nature notebook, but definitely in the nature notebook. Just you as the parent kind of modeling that, but also you're getting excited. Yeah. And I just, I realized that it's not just another thing, but that it's really more teaching us how to see, enhancing our observation and also more um, being able to do things, productive things, beautiful things with our hands. And it's also a great stress reliever. Um, Personally, I really enjoy working with the clay. And 
it's great because you can do it with all ages of your family. Um, you know, it's, it's not like toxic paint that you have to be really vigilant to not just keep out of your baby's mouth, but also not drop in the environment. So I love it. Right. It's kind of a win, win, win for everybody <laughs> is what I'm hearing. Okay. Well, I, I loved that part that you, you talked about gratitude, that you can't be thankful for what you don't notice. So you and I had talked about that before to just have our eyes open to the things around us is such a gift. Yeah. And I think these things that we do in school really help us, helps us to have that gratitude. We're constantly having to notice. We're constantly having to ask ourselves these questions and spend time outside and think about how we could reproduce it. Um, so now let you had mentioned all ages. So I know that there are listeners out there who, one, they maybe don't even know why they want to include this in their homeschool in the first place, um, but they also feel intimidated because it's something they've never done and they have maybe a couple little ones around. So talk about how maybe personally in your school, in your life, what you guys have done to get this into your, your everyday habits and practice and how it goes with your younger ones, any strategies? <laughs> okay. So um, I don't think I've even told you this, but I have had a nature group in various iterations for many years. And um, for the past, I'm not even sure, maybe three years, it's been all younger kids. Um, like we call it the playroom. And so non Charlotte Mason school age, so five and under. And we haven't actually done clay together as a group because we always go to the pond together and do nature notebooking type things. But I think that we will be incorporating clay because it's perfect for these moms where they are really excited about Charlotte Mason. And then they're like, I love Charlotte Mason. I want to do this. Let's start schooling. Oh, my kid's not old enough. Wah, wah, wah. I can't start. <laughs> I'm so excited. And I'm like, no, no, it's great use this time, read the volumes. Like, but I want to try it out on my kids. I'm like, you will regret it. Don't do it. But this is actually something that you can do. Um, there actually are a lot of things that you can do, but, um, this is one thing that is really great to do if your kids are not yet ready to start formal lessons. Yeah, I would agree with that. I want to real quick read a TG Rooper comment because he does the foreword to this book, A Manual of Clay Modeling by Hermione Unwin. He says, all the magic of beauty, which may bewitch the mind of man and raise it far above the monotonous round of life's daily drudgery may be drawn out of a few objects such as have been selected by the author of this book. I have observed that children take the greatest interest in the occupation, both while modeling these objects and afterwards when the models are completed. It is fortunate for human progress that much is most beautiful, is most common, and most cheap, demanding for its appropriation only some effort of attention and will. In art, at any rate, there needs no costly apparatus to elevate the mind. Although a few can become artists, all can become lovers of art and learn to look on the artist's productions with sympathetic acknowledgement of his power. I liked that things could be so simple that you can start really young 
that you can start with very simple materials and simple models. Um, and it even sounds like you might have good opportunities to use clay with some geography stuff when you're out sure. doing your nature stuff with this group of younger kids. What do you think about that? Definitely. We just haven't because um, we've just kept things really simple. We're actually just adding some like uh, musical games and songs, but it's just been very low key. And then of course we've been reading the volumes together with the moms while the kids are occupied. But I think that um, part of my vision for the group has always been to include something like this. It's just hasn't gotten there yet, but I think, I think we're moving in that Mm -hmm. direction. So gosh, I have to say this preface with Ruper, I just love every word. I wish you could read every word of it. It is so just, just so good. You could just teach yeah. your whole term just off of the introduction. Well, it would inspire you anyway. And that's the important thing for the mom to, to think that it's worth the small amount of effort to set it up. I mean, always trying something new, adding something new into your school is some effort, but you'll realize that it's totally worth it if you read this. Oh, he says the brain is reached through the muscle. And muscular activity is employed to expand the intellect. That's so good. And what do young kids want to do besides just touch everything all the time? Right? It's like how they learn about things. So give them something they can really mold and play with and manipulate. I think that's so great. I'm going to resist the temptation to read like five more quotes from his preface. It's so good. I just encourage everyone to take a look and read it themselves. Yes. So that's A Manual of Clay Modeling by Hermione Unwin. And I think you can find it through Yesterday's Classics, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. When we're talking about clay modeling, I know this question always comes up. There is talk of using armature. So talk to me about even the the necessity necessarily of, of this armature, especially with younger students, or if you're just getting into it, and maybe some alternatives or what you have that you have used. Okay, so um, I I don't even remember exactly what it was that I read that led me in this direction of researching clay, but it was before that this book was widely available. And um, I remember reading that intro from Ruper and being like, oh, I'm so excited. And then I go past the intro into where they're talking about how essential the armature is. I'm like, the what? And then I'm going on Amazon and there's nothing, you know, that I can just click to find something um, that will serve this purpose. And then you, and really when you look online, the armatures that people are using are not what this is talking about at all. And it was, it was very stressful to think that we had to make our own. Um, I will say, I see what they're saying about why it's important, but for young people or even beginners, I do not think it is essential. If you want to go on and really get serious about it, of course, yes, you should have an armature, but you don't need it the first term or the first year, or um, I guess it depends. If you have older kids who might be kind of perfectionists who would be frustrated with getting the texture right and then ruining it by holding it in their hand or putting it down on something or having to stabilize it with their hand, then sure. But you can also like, I mean, you could just do a a big nail um, 
in a board, and that can be your armature. It does not have to be exactly what's described in this book, but you just need something to put your clay model on so that it is supported. Okay, so if they didn't have armature, they would just need something to put their clay model on so they could get all the way around it to exactly. add texture. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. It also depends on if you have a lot of kids or if you're doing it in a group. I mean, do you want to store all these big boards? Because you have to do several pieces um, to keep the wood from warping. And so it's not something... So, I mean, we made ours where the, um, the screw could come out. So it stores flat, but I mean, it's not flat. It's, I mean, with homeschooling, everything takes up space. It's just an issue of you know, how much space do you want to dedicate to this? And if you have five kids, do you want five armatures plus one for the mom? I mean, we have one mm -hmm. armature. <laughs> the next question I wanted to ask you is best type of clay to use. Do you have an official opinion on this? I do. And I know it's not the one you use, which I only have used this one. Um, so I'm not saying I've tried them all and this is the best, but I like the one that I use. Is that the oil-based clay? Yeah. Okay. Tell me the brand again. Clayette. Clayette. By Chavant.com. So there you go. I'll put a link in the show notes to that because well, evidently it's amazing on your hands too. Oh, I love it on my hands. I feel like it's like a spa treatment. I will say if you're not familiar if you're ordering it, get the soft because the soft is hard. And the one that's one step up from soft is like really hard. Oh, okay. If you're super serious point. about this, then maybe you want all the different hardnesses in your uh, toolbox. But so I guess the next one is called medium because I think people who are serious about it, like for different parts of your model, you would want to use both thicknesses, you know, like maybe the inside part would be hard and then the soft part would be, I mean, the outer shell that you're going to do more detail on that you want to push on without disturbing the overall shape. But I personally have never used the, um, the different thicknesses, only the soft. And the more you work it in your hand, it gets even softer. Now this leads me to any extra materials. You have a few tools that you like to use. What are your favorites and where can we get them? So I think you could use random stuff from your utensil drawer in the kitchen. Um, you could use popsicle sticks, toothpicks. I think that the most important are the wire for cutting and just some stuff that is going to go in your clay box, you know, so it's ready to go and it's less stressful. You don't want to have to go around the house looking for those tools every time it's time to do the clay. But um, I just bought, you know, I'm sure it's made in China, um, just the 15 piece and then maybe the 10 piece. I just have a, a couple kits all combined here in one bag, but... I'm mm -hmm. not necessarily recommending that, but that's just what I, you know, in my angst over not having the ready to go armature, I was just like, okay, what are the other things I can get just ready to go? Um, and it has worked fine, but I don't think you need them, but they're not expensive either. 
Right. I think I bought my set for two fifty at Hobby Lobby. So look at okay. your craft store. Yeah. Yeah. And see what you can find there. But yeah, popsicle sticks are great. I like fishing line I mean, too. Oh yeah, fish line would perfect if it's strong enough. But mm-hmm. you could carve your popsicle sticks in to get the different shapes if you wanted, you know, if you had a sharp knife. Oh, sure. Okay, so whittling first in your handicrafts and then we use that <laughs> whittling s- skill for <laughs> those popsicle sticks. Exactly. Um in addition oh, also yes. to that that Steinthal um article and then also there's a book called clay modeling by holland i wish that i had gotten into the habit of uh like keeping a record of why i order certain books i'm sure that i was reading an article that referenced this book but i don't know which article it is because i didn't write it down you know and sometimes you order the book and it comes like a month later and like why did i order this i sometimes i remember what subject it's for but Anyway, this one says clay modeling. All the time. For schools. Yeah, a progressive. I'm glad I'm not the only one. A progressive course for primary and grammar grades by Anna M. Holland. So um, this one is from 1899. So I suppose they could have been using it in the PNU. This is an American book. But um, anyway, this one is a little different from Unwin because um, instead of doing things like acorns and. Um, oranges and you know things like a single model like things that you would use the armature for this one at least based on what they have the pictures in the back of these plates it's kind of like the clay um analogy to a uh, brushwork like those patterns that they would do you know what i'm talking about you know the little flowers next to each other or triangles or semicircles or whatever so they have some mm-hmm. kind of cool stuff back here um even like raised flowers a horse head so i'm not really sure what the term is for this style of art but um shapes to practice that would be useful yeah but i mean it's also just really beautiful stuff i mean you could use this to make um some molds to do i don't know some ceramics or they're just beautiful like Petal designs, fleur de lis. I mean, pictures. I, it's just it remind. It's a clay version of like the the brushwork. I think that sounds great. So that's Holland. How do you spell that? H O L L A N D. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would say after you do the unwin book, you could do this one. But I mean, it's not like you need a book to do clay. You don't need someone telling you what to do if you like to have a curriculum saying okay do this this week and then do this one next week and those skills will build on each other and um then that's fine but Mm -hmm. i I certainly think you could just decide to do clay and just pick something and work on it yes i get asked that question a lot even with my course just um people are always curious about what order do um, i take these in and i have a suggested order but i just wanted to encourage moms out there that just because you might skip a few steps in quotation marks that it's all learning and you're kind of with, with art studies and skills in general, I don't think you need to be afraid that you're jumping ahead at like a harder skill or um, I don't think there's anything 
such as falling behind with it either. So, you know, read your student too. If, if obviously, if you don't think that they're ready to model a more, something that looks a little bit more difficult, then do something that looks more simple that has less going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and use what's around you too. I wouldn't say, don't feel constrained by, oh, okay, they say we have to model this mushroom or this pear. Just use what you have in your home. I think that's that's kind of the point behind it too, is that you're using your environment as part of your school as well. Absolutely, I agree. I just think sometimes with, at least for me, when you're doing Charlotte Mason, you have like 551 subjects and you're like, I, I don't know what to do for this. So that's why it comes in handy to have like your class or something in a book that says do this next or even say this, you know, (laughs) or the -hmm. night before gather these things. And then when it's the time do this, you know, that's helpful sometimes just because it can be overwhelming, but it's definitely not necessary. I mean, I talked to my 11 year old about this just the other day because so her next sibling in school is five years younger. And so that's a pretty big gap between basically sixth grade and first grade. And so she's like, I don't want to do first grade art lessons together. And I'm like, it's not first grade art. It's just an introduction to the, to the materials. And you already know how to use the materials. So we're just going to be painting the same objects. And yours is going to be, you know, what you observed and also your skill in the brush and in the paint with the paper. And then what she observed, she may notice something that you didn't notice but you have five more years practicing with these materials. So they're going to be different, but it's not, it's not based on the person's development. It's more just ease of using the materials and then teaching those observation skills, which really we could all improve on even adults. Right. Yeah. That's a big part of it too is, I think sometimes more important is the questions that you could ask that get them aware, like, what is the general shape of it? Is it round on one side and flat on the other? Is the, you know, as I'm just thinking about some random object that we're looking at, um, you know, noticing its characteristics is that can happen without any medium. That can just be a fun game that you play when you go on a walk. Right. Like the object lesson questions. Um, I have, this is kind of interesting. At least it was mind blowing to me, but my daughter, so I love object lessons and I love my nature notebook and I love all these things that really forced me to look closely at things. For example, I have to notice the different colors if I'm going to put it in my nature notebook because I have to choose which color of paint to use or, you know, how many petals or how many leaves or how are they arranged, those kinds of questions. I have to ask myself those if I'm going to put it in my notebook, same as with clay, not necessarily the colors, but the placement and the size and everything. Okay, so I'm like talking to my daughter about that and she's like, mom, you love that stuff. I do not love that stuff. And the reason is I don't need the help looking closely. I see details naturally all the time. Whereas you are a big picture thinker and you enjoy it as a mental exercise because you don't naturally normally do that. I thought that was very interesting that she 
noticed that. How very perceptive of her to know that about you. (laughs) Yeah. It reminds me of that one article that you and I read a while back. The details that the children see are its defining characteristics. It's what it sets that thing apart from the next thing. But those things are so common to us that we don't look at the little details like that from adult eyes. Yeah, we have a lot to learn to be more like little children. For younger kids, I wouldn't stress about it being the right kind of clay. I think the idea is to um, try to make a shape, especially things like geography. I think kinetic sand would be easier and less stressful. Um, You know, you're trying to do like a mountain with a valley or an island or um, isthmus or those kinds of things. You want something that's easy to work with, whereas to try to do those major landforms in at least the clay that I'm using, it's very stiff and it's a lot of work to um, soften it. It takes a lot of actual muscle strength. So that might be difficult for a younger student if we're talking about like uh, younger than even doing formal lessons. It might be just easier to do some other medium, but specifically asking them to try to reproduce something that they can see, like a particular shape of a, a twig or... Um, even an animal, maybe, I don't know, depending, you know, you, you, like you said, you want to gauge your students. So you don't want to frustrate them. You want to give them something that's uh, within their compass to have perfect execution, but you might be surprised at what they can do. Yeah, totally. And to that point too, I just wanted to bring up that I use terracotta clay. So I use, well, we were using terracotta and then I, (laughs) it molded in the bag. So sad day when you have 10 pounds of clay that molds, um, you use clean water when you <laughs> put it back in the bag. But so we're using a stoneware now, which is just, it's earth. It's the same thing, but it's a different type of dirt. So it's, it fires white or like light, light gray color. But yeah, it was very hard to do a geography lesson trying to make landforms with even that. And that was pretty soft too. So I would totally... Yeah, I would totally do Play-Doh or Kinetic Sand with with geography stuff, for sure. Um, But a little bit about terracotta, what I like about it is that it's very versatile and you can add water to it to make it softer. You can also, if you'd like to, if you have a piece that you really enjoyed making and it doesn't have air bubbles in it, you can see if your local potter will fire it in one of their firings and you could turn it into stoneware. However, I will say they really will not take your stuff if it has any air bubbles in it. They don't want it exploding in their kiln. And some even, yeah, some even have a policy where they just say no outside work unless you did it in the studio. So before you get all excited about firing it, contact your local potter or the places around you that would even be able to do it and see if it's even an option first. (laughs) I had to learn that the hard way. Wow, that's a bummer. Though that's something to know about this stuff, the clayette. It really is not for, you know, keeping forever or firing. It is just for using in a class and then reusing the next week because it won't dry. It's not for- Which I really love that fact about that because I would I would definitely want to reuse stuff. I don't like keeping all the little flotsam around. Well, I mean, I think it it depends on how many kids you have and where you are in your homeschooling journey. I think at the beginning, you know, when you say like, do it on the chalkboard, you're like, but how will I preserve that for their 
to give show to my grandchildren and you know you want to save every little scribble but um this is more like the chalkboard version it's meant not to be saved yes <laughs> i forget that some people think that way <laughs> i have to be reminded i'm totally not i don't know what it is i'm totally not sentimental about usually i'm i'm usually not sentimental about drawings <laughs> Well, someone um, on a homeschooling forum recently was saying, you know, what do you do with these salt dough maps that your kids do for geography? I was like, they don't last 24 hours in my house. We got to get that out of there. I mean, there's such an awkward shape and it's like cardboard tray with the paint and the, I'm not saving that. Come on. I have five kids. Exactly. Ain't nobody got space for that. Okay. I am going to ask you a very practical question. As far as your lesson times and how they generally go and how much time you spend on them, what does that look like in your home? So we have the most success with this type of thing as an afternoon occupation. I will say that um, this is my sixth year homeschooling and really my seventh year reading about Charlotte Mason. So I'm not stressed out about teaching all the subjects. I'm pretty comfortable with all that. And so I do art, like drawing and painting in the morning, but I don't do clay in the morning. Um, so, but that, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's what works best for us. So I always, when I'm planning my schedule, I think about what is going to require things getting set up or cleaned up. And I have to pad that lesson with independent work on both ends if it's going to need any setup or cleanup, or I'm going to assign that to an older child to be responsible. Um, and so it just depends on, you know, how many subjects you're teaching together or how much freedom you have to do that. I'm in a weird spot because I've got a student who's pretty close to being independent. She's at the place where she really wants to be very independent. and um, then I have a first grader who's not independent at all and needs me to do everything and watch her do everything and read everything. So if I just had my first grader, I would not be able to set up or clean up the clay during morning lessons. The only thing she can do independently is her copy work. And even that, I really want to be watching her the whole time for perfect execution. So I... I just wouldn't be able to do it. And I, I wouldn't want to have the kids just like sitting there waiting. I would lose them. So I, it to me, it makes more sense to do in the afternoon. But I will be honest and say, um, if I'm teaching from nine until lunch, and then I have to go in the kitchen and in two minutes, rustle up some lunch, I don't have anything left to get afternoon occupations going. So um, today... We stopped school a little early at 11, and then I was, like, luxuriating in the kitchen making lunch, and I was, like, roasting things, and it was great. And then I have a lot of energy for afternoon occupation. So you have to manage your energy levels. You have to manage your cleanup time and all that, and just, you know, I think whatever works for you is fine. But for me, afternoon makes the most sense. And we are doing clay just on a rotating term handicraft. So... At the moment, we are not doing clay at all, but we have done clay for the past few years, just one of the three terms. 
Yeah, I like that idea too. And I like it in the winter time. It's definitely mm. not a bring it with you and take it outside. <laughs> and like in the afternoons, you want to be outside when it's nice. You don't want to be in doing clay. Well, at least I don't. I don't want to be in doing clay modeling when I could be out in nature. Um, and it gets pretty cold here in Nebraska. I'm sure it will where you are too. So I, I agree. It's a good winter activity. You had brought up a term. You have been saying perfect execution. And I just wanted you to clarify that for us. What do you mean by that? And how can we balance that with what we know about their skills and abilities? Well, I'll tell you what my understanding of it is, but I don't claim to be an expert on this term because um, I know it can be a source of confusion and it's not something I have spent a lot of time researching. So I'll just tell you where I stand and what I expect in my family. But if you have researched it or someone else has, I defer because it is a little bit confusing. <laughs> I have not. So okay, so I'll just give me what I, you got. So I want to um, give my students something that they can do. And I'm doing air quotes. You can't see me perfectly. So um, that means, I mean, basic things like for my first grader, her copy work is just a couple of letters or today it was a couple of numbers. And um, we figured out that she didn't know how to make that eight infinity symbol. Like, and so we just pulled back and we just practiced making that, you know, so for her, for me to ask her to do five eights or even a five digit number, you know, she doesn't even have them memorized how to make them. That would be really stressful for her. And she would probably get some of the numbers backwards or whatever. And you just don't want to reinforce the incorrect, you know, way of drawing them. So um, that's what perfect execution looks like for her copy work. And um, in a brushwork situation, I would probably pull a couple of leaves or stems off so that uh, if it was like a twig, it might have the main stem and then one little offshoot with maybe just a few leaves. You know, you want to preserve the way that the leaves go. So you have to leave some leaves there. But I wouldn't, I would never give a branch with like 25 leaves on it um, to a first grader. I just think that's too complex. Um, she would not be able to do a perfect execution on that. And I don't really want to build a habit of um, not noticing each individual thing. So I guess that that puts the burden on me to give her a small enough amount of things so that it's reasonable for her to notice each individual thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you want to give them the time too. You want to have a good half hour to um, get your stuff and have the lesson and have time for cleanup. Definitely have time for cleanup with that one. Yeah. It Both takes some time yeah. to observe. So even just things like the mom not talking too much can mm -hmm. really help. Yep. I remember that drawing book. Betty Edwards? Yeah, I think it was Betty Edwards. Must be where she talks about how when you're um, drawing on the right side of your brain, you, it's the other side of that you use for speech. So if you're speaking or listening to spoken words, then that takes you out of the drawing side. So it can just be 
you know, asking those few first questions and then just kind of sitting back and watching it unfold. Yeah, I we've done a different thing with picture study this year, which I my student, my oldest student really does not like it because we've never done it this way before. And so she really resents changing things up on her when she was really <laughs> comfortable with the way we were doing it. So we used to do the standard where, you know, you, you pass out the pictures and they're flipped over and then all at once you flip them over and then everybody's looking around quietly. No one's talking. And then you, you get to the point where you have it memorized in your mind and you can see it with your eyes closed. And then when you say, yep, I got it. And you flip yours back over. And then everybody says all the things that they can remember, or you can go around and, you know, you say something hasn't been said yet. You know what I'm talking about, right? And this is like the standard Mm -hmm. picture study. Okay. So then this year, I don't know if your family is doing this the new way or not, but you, you ask a lot of questions that I would put in the category of object lesson questions. They can be specific to the piece. Um, maybe even talking about the title, asking, you know, do you see lines? Do you see um, foreshortened circles? Uh, do you see tertiary colors? Which colors would you mix to get that shade of brown? Or Those kinds of questions. And you're asking all these questions, not necessarily getting an answer, but you're asking these questions. You're basically directing their observation all while you have the picture face up. We've been so strict in the past years of no one says anything with the picture face up. <laughs> so my daughter feels like this is a violation. But anyway, <laughs> so you're you're really directing their their looking, their observation, and then you flip over and then you again narrate what you remember. But the teacher has in this way, I think, encouraged the student to notice a lot of different things. Um new things and more things than they would have otherwise. And anyway, the reason I bring that up is I think it's the same with the clay, except that you can be looking back all the time, but you might, before you ever even get the clay out or before the student starts working in the clay, you might direct their observation with some questions. And, and that actually, you know, I just said you don't need the book and that's true, but I do like what the Unwin book does for each model. They will give some instructions on you know things to be sure to notice okay so here we are with model number two the apple after some preliminary directions they say observe the difference in circumference round the stalk end and round the calyx end copying this in the model by putting on soft clay or by pressure of the thumb feel the dimple at the calyx end of the apple with the thumb to observe the depth and depressions around it Make the dimple in the model with the forefinger slightly deeper to allow for filling up with the calyx. They go on, but you know, they're, it's very specific and you might ask your student, you know, here it says, observe the difference in circumference around the stalk end and around the calyx end. So this might be before you even get the clay and say, okay, do we have the same circumference on either end? If not, which one's bigger? Why do you think that is? You know, those kinds of observation questions if it doesn't irritate your student you know that might be helpful I was just thinking as you were explaining the new way that you do picture study that it sounds a lot like how you study maps too right see they all work together all these subjects they are not standalone things they really reinforce and support one another 
So awesome. It's just so cool to see the method with all of its parts and all of it together. It And it honestly makes sometimes talking about one single topic really hard to stay on <laughs> just that because right. it all really is related. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that is really why I started researching teaching drawing because that is part of the nature notebook. And really, I would say that clay modeling, teaching the clay is exactly the same. It's teaching the observation. I mean, it's more than that, obviously, the, the utility of your hands and, um, you know, making beautiful things. But at its core, it is um, teaching observation. Well, I think that's a great segue into talking about another topic that is related but different, which would be the nature notebook, the nature journal. Um, you kind of, you have something new this year because you've got a new student. You have now a six-year-old and an 11-year-old. So that's a pretty interesting gap. And you had found out some new things about yourself, about your students. What could you tell us that's different this year with that? Well, I did start my nature notebook before my oldest student started hers, before I started formal lessons with her, but it was pretty much around the same time that I was starting a year one with her, Form 1B. And I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not claiming to be an expert and I'm certainly not, um, but I definitely know more species now than I did when I started with my oldest. And I'm just more comfortable with the process. Um, I'm comfortable with my materials. Not to say that like everything comes out like I saw it in my head or like I wanted it to. You know, I thought I didn't have time to work then. I have even less time now. I might get five minutes or whatever. And and that's, you know, some days it's just a few words. It's not even any drawing. Sometimes it's just a pen sketch, just some uh, features of some leaves I want to follow up on. Um questions. I love putting questions in there, but I, I'm definitely not done with my nature notebook or anything like that, but I do think it has already taught me the lesson that I hate to say it served its purpose. Like I'm over it and I, I hope I'm never over it, but I have, okay. I haven't arrived, but I have learned to see in some measure. And so, you know, I'll never lose that. That's a, a skill that I now have a gift that I now have. So you know, I don't have to put it in my notebook to see, but it was the act of trying to put it in my notebook that taught me how to see. But now I can see even if I didn't bring my notebook. Do you mean, see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. That's the really beautiful thing is that you've stored your, I guess your, well, you've added to your skill set and it's, it's just something you just naturally do now. You don't need that extrinsic motivation for just noticing. I am not saying, therefore, I don't think it's really important for moms to do nature notebooks. I still think it is very important for moms to do nature notebooks. It's such a gift. I don't mean it in any kind of burden way. I just It's such a wonderful thing. And if I um, was able to, I would be in my nature notebook more frequently than I am. It's just, for me anyway, it was a little bit like, <laughs> like resenting my kids. Like, oh, I can't get in my nature notebook as often as I want. Or I can't spend as much time working on this painting because having to eat and clean and, you know, <laughs> but, um, mm -hmm. now it's, I'm just in a super busy season and 
um, you know, had a baby nine months ago and, um, yeah, we're planning a move. There's always something. It's just, it's fine. It's just when, whenever I can get five minutes, I'm so grateful for those five minutes. And I really enjoy, you know, that time that I can just sit down with my paints or even, like I said, just a pen. Yeah. Well, and you have to be realistic and you have to set yourself with realistic expectations. If you are in a busy time, then at least knowing at the outset, okay, this term, I'm not going to stress about my nature notebook. If I get the time, fine, I'll do it. But I don't think you need to have guilt. Like you never want the guilt cloud clouding over your head of like, knowing that you had a quota that you had to fill or like a mental quota that you wanted to fill right. and didn't, didn't get there. But yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Moms are so busy and sometimes you want to work on something like this term I'm working on getting up early. And that's like my mother culture thing that I'm really focusing on this, this, and this. And so anything outside of that, I'm just not going to have that guilt trap. Well, and I think it depends on your personality too, but I really like knowing that everything is scheduled and I'm happy with that amount of, you know, drawings, entries, whatever. So if we're doing the six wild fruits and the six twigs and the, I don't know, wildflowers, you know, that's, that's enough. I want to do more and I would be very happy to do more, but if that's all we get, that's, we're making solid progress. We do that every year. That's great. And we're also supporting that with regular charcoal drawing and, um, you know, clay work once a, a year in its term. Um, if you think about the long term, you know, you don't want to burn out. So if you really hit it hard and then you, it, it just becomes something like a source of guilt or a burden or whatever, you know, that's not helpful. I'd rather still be keeping a nature notebook a hundred years from now. I'm already 40. So <laughs> 50 years from now, but well, think about the long term. and I want to still love it. And I want my kids to still love it. Well, that's an important point too, because I think it happens a lot where we can be so excited about something too, that it really kills the enjoyment for them because we're just too much. It's like mom is way too into this and you know, the rebellious spirits of the children kind of kick in and are like, wow. Um, then it becomes a point of contention. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, in some households, this is not the case for everyone, but oh, no, I guess in my household for sure. Yeah. You, yeah. It, you have to know your student. My student does not like to be pushed. She majorly resents being pushed. And so, she has had some awesome entries in her nature notebook. Um, I really want her to make a nature notebook entry every time we go on our nature walk. We have a longer time set aside. We do a shortened version of lessons once a week. It's now on Tuesdays. We have pond day and that's when all of our playroom families come and we go to the pond. And so on Tuesdays, I want her to make an entry in her nature notebook, but I don't want it to be like, okay, uh, scribble down something so now you can run around with your friends. I mean, that is more than defeating the purpose. That's the antithesis of what I want. And so I'm trying to relax and just 
you know, let it flow. And, you know, I don't make an entry, like, long, drawn-out, beautiful, take-my-time entry every week either. But she has a couple, I would say 10 entries in her nature notebooks over the years that are really beautiful. And, and I don't mean, you know, we've talked about this, your goal is not to create something beautiful. But what I mean is she took her time, she really noticed some things, and we both are just thrilled with the way that it turned out. And, you know, I've got those saved. So she'll be able to look at those when she gets older. Um, and then yeah. she's got some pages she scribbled on too. Um, you know, that's, that's just the way it is. I mean, you, you get what you put into it. And right now it's not a real priority for her, but she's, she's doing the minimum that's required. And I'll tell you what, I had an epiphany this morning. We were doing our hymn recitation and it happens to be a hymn that, um, is supposed to be like comforting for nighttime. All praise to thee, my God, this night. And yes. So my one, my uh, four-year-old said, came in my room the other night and said that she had a bad dream. And so I was like, oh, you should come in when we're doing school um, so you can learn this hymn and you can sing it to yourself, you know, if you have a bad dream at night. And so anyway, we were all doing it together, the three of us, well, myself and my three girls, because I wanted my youngest girl to hear it too, because she had had the bad dream. So then it, my oldest says, oh, I can play this on the piano. So we go over to the keyboard and she just plays it. And she stumbled over a couple of notes. She was like figuring out the notes as she went. She didn't have any sheet music for it. And then she just played it and it sounded amazing. And we've been doing piano lessons, I don't know, for five or six years. And we used to have someone come, you know, that we paid for private lessons and she was also doing the um, violin and then she quit the violin and then she felt like that teacher was pushing her too much and she does not like to be pushed. And so, and it was tearful battle. We canceled those. She was doing online lessons, just watching a video. And I thought it was going to be a waste. You know, we bought this expensive keyboard and we had had the private lessons for so many years and Anyway, today she played this on her own because she wanted to. She learned this song and it sounded amazing. And then just because we were there, she played this other song that she's been working on. It sounded amazing. And I have never once forced her to practice the piano. We've never had any arguments about it. It's something that she enjoys doing. And that's my ultimate goal long term. And I, and I hope we get there with the Nature Notebook we haven't yet because she's only 11, but I am confident that Charlotte Mason knew what she was talking about and we will get there before she leaves our home. So I, yeah, we're just going to keep plugging away and she's going to get to the point where it's a real source of joy for her. Yeah. And if nothing else, there's going to be something that she learned from it that you just two are going to be blown away by like, had you not done any nature notebooking, she wouldn't do X, Y, Z. Notice X, Y, Z. Be interested in X, Y, Z. So, I mean, yeah, the opportunities are endless. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. It's been so good to have you here. Thanks for your time. Um, as we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts for encouraging parents just 
something that you think could really encourage them to some, you know, some type of mindset that could get them ready to be doing this pretty soon? I mean, you, there's nothing stopping you from doing this tomorrow. Go, maybe if you have some sort of natural uh, water area, you can be assured there's clay soil there. Just start digging with your fingers. And, you know, if you have clothes on that can get a little messy, just try to copy some shapes that you find in nature. I mean, it's fun. Kids love it. It's, uh, it's really teaching some really valuable skills, both with the hand, also with the eye. There's, I, I really can't think of any reason not to do it, except if mom is super overwhelmed and this is not something that should add to the overwhelm. So just relax about it. And it's a win-win. It really is. It really is a win-win. You can find Sculpey, Play-Doh, things you already have. I love that idea to go to the pond or the river and look for it yourself. There's a great YouTube video that I watched uh, not too long ago um, that teaches you how to make clay and how you sift it from the soil. So maybe even maybe even starting there, um, showing your kids like this cool thing that comes out of the earth that you can make things with. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, or even mud. I mean, if it's clay, a high clay content, it doesn't have to be pure clay. If you're not going to fire it, I mean, for your purpose of just trying to make shapes. Perfect. Thankful for your, your wisdom, for your perspective, because you've been doing this for six, seven years. And I think that you just, you bring a lot of wisdom to this because you have so many kids and you have one with special needs as well. I forgot to mention that before, but um, that this education is really supposed to serve you and I guess keeping that in mind that you don't have to be enslaved to any book, any course, but that you this is something that you get to do and you can really start tomorrow if you'd like. Amen. Well, thank you, Nicole. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Dallas. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. You as well. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.